0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
2: Well, thank you, sir. Good afternoon and welcome. Good to have you with us on this Thursday edition of Lifeline, just five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. Craig Roberts keeping you company as we always do, Tuesday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Hey, coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program, we've got some good news out of the California State Legislature. Not that they've necessarily done anything phenomenal that just kind of tends to run contrary to their ideology. But that said, Jonathan Keller with the California Family Council is going to drop by for a quick visit and give us an update on a bill, Assembly Bill 1400, that we've been following and talking about for some months now. And uh, there's some movement in the right direction. We'll tell you why and why you should celebrate coming up later on in tonight's. Program. Imagine raising your children in a largely underdeveloped third world nation, a nation on the African continent, Zimbabwe to be precise. The risk in many parts of that world to a child's health and safety increases exponentially. Everything from potential road accidents to bad water to violence, oftentimes violence meted out specifically against Christians. So one might think that moving that son or daughter back to the United States would be the safest place to be. That is perhaps what makes our first story tonight so heartbreaking. A report now from Chicago TV 7.
3: A bizarre accident during a college track and field event in Illinois has claimed the life of a young athlete. 19-year-old Ethan Roser was struck by an errant hammer during the hammer throw event yesterday. Roser was a member of Wheaton College's soccer team. He was a volunteer for the track and field meet.
2: Ethan's father, Mark Roser, joins us now. Mark has just written a new book called Blindsided, A Journey from Tragic Loss to Triumphant Love, newly released by Periclee Press. And, Brother Mark, appreciate so much you taking time to be with us tonight. Hearing that bit of audio again must bring back some very difficult, very painful memories for you.
4: I appreciate you having me uh, on the program. And yeah, I remember uh, packing up to leave Zimbabwe and Thanking God that we hadn't lost life or limb during our 22 years, that uh, my family was returning to the land of safety, the United States. and uh, Seemed that way up until that Saturday when I got that, uh, that phone call, that parent's worst nightmare call. And uh, it's been a journey. And uh, in writing Blindsided, I... Uh, I wanted to help others who have had loss. We have all go through loss in life, disappointments, uh, some very hurtful and painful.
2: Your experience, 22 years on the mission field, you established a Bible college while you were there, you taught on radio and television, engaged in church planting. You did a lot of things on behalf of the kingdom, and I've got to wonder, an accident like this that seems to be so crazy, so so out of left field. I mean, your, your, your son is at a track meet, uh, volunteering. What possibly could go wrong with that? And to get that telephone call and to suddenly realize as your heart sinks to the ground just how tragically wrong things went. What were some of the first thoughts that went through your mind? I've I've got to imagine you had to have said, God, what's going on here? You protected my family for two decades on the African continent. My son is here at home. We're here. He's studying at Wheaton College, getting ready for a ministry career himself, and this happens. What were some of the things, the the questions that you began asking God, Mark, in those early hours?
4: And the officer who was there. At Lawson Field, uh, phoned me uh, and said that my son hadn't made it to the hospital. It just took all the air out of me. I could hardly speak, and I thought, H- "This can't be. This is impossible. It, it was just inconceivable." He, uh, you know, he had the full skill set to be a, uh, a minister. He was already from the time of his high school with young life groups to now at college, uh, influencing his friends for the Lord. And I thought, Lord, this boy would have served you for decades. And the big question, obviously, the why question. And, and I know God didn't cause it, but I also know that God is sovereign. He allowed it. Uh, I had written a book during the Zimbabwe crisis, to years of economic meltdown, political strife, the uh, Zimbabwe economy and free fall, and all the social upheaval, I wrote a book on God's sovereignty. It, 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 the situation there drove me to search the scriptures to see who, who really ultimately is in control. Is it man that's defining everything? Is it the president wanting to hold on to power, or because the Christians were praying and and ministering to them pastor what's going on why isn't God changing things here so this study on God's sovereignty just solidified in my heart uh... that God is ultimately in control and nothing can touch us unless he permits it uh... for a redemptive reason that also was my first light when that phone call came it was a shocked but deep down in my heart i knew okay god you you allowed this for a reason for a purpose i i can't fathom what that might be now uh when it happened but since then and it's been five years god has filled in so many blanks for me and shown me so much redemptive good out of my greatest loss i've had a more of an opportunity to share Jesus at a deeper level than ever before.
2: You know, I'm I'm struck very much, Mark, by your initial reaction. Of course, as you say, your heart falls to the ground. You feel like the breath, the wind has been knocked out of you. Most parents would suddenly think, God's gone AWOL. Where was he? Why would he allow some tragedy of this sort to happen? But But you immediately went to the years of relational experience and I, and I say it that way because it goes beyond the matter of, of missional experience, but relational experience with God, to know that even in the midst of things that we cannot understand that are so bigger than us that we would flail about trying to make sense of it in the in the the, the earthly realm and yet and yet to know deep down, wait a minute, no matter what happens, God's got this, no matter what happens. He's got a perfect plan. We may not understand it. We may not agree with it. But he's got a plan, and he's going to use it in some significant way. And, and I think that's critically important, too, in this case, because you're not only in a position of trying to perhaps seek answers for yourself, but as a missionary, a church planter, a pastor, I would imagine that were many around you— posing the same question. Mark, you and your wife you raised your kids in the mission field. How can God let a tragedy like this happen? Does that open up doors, really doors in that sense, Mark, to share the gospel, the hope Tremendous that you had? Tremendous
4: doors. Tremendous doors. And I realize God uh, allows these things. And you know the great promise of Romans 8, 28. That all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes we take that verse, but we've got to understand that it's quoted in a catalog of the worst things you can imagine. Uh, nakedness, starvation, uh, being killed by the sword. Uh, and Paul is talking about being at a place in his faith where nothing can separate us from the love of God. And the worst things that can be thrown at us in this life, like we see with Jesus dying on the cross, the worst thing can bring about the best thing. And and at the time, it it doesn't take away the grief and the sorrow and the pain, but it does give us an indestructible hope and faith and so, in writing Blindsided, I, I, I wanted to write in first-person, active tense, to take the rear through from the time I got the news, to going to the field where it happened, to the mortuary, to the internal dialogue with God through the whole journey, and believing that God had specific answers. I know the Bible gives us great framework and tells us, yes, there's a redemptive good that God will bring about. Yes. We're all meant to be Christ first by the things that happen in our life, whether good or bad. And after coming to Christ, these things are meant to conform us to his image. I understand the parameter of Scripture, but I also believe that God had a specific answer regarding my Ethan and my situation. And some people, uh, Craig, you know, in Christendom, Uh, a good segment of believers are kind of at the place where don't ask because God isn't telling or okay you can't help but ask pour your heart out but don't really expect God to answer and um, that's a point of difference with blindsided Uh, and with some of the grief literature that's out there I believe the Bible teaches us in the life of whether it's Paul his thorn in the flesh where he inquired three times he prayed that it might be removed, whatever it was God didn't remove it but he did tell him his redemptive purpose in allowing it that Paul might not be exalted above measure because of the exceeding greatness of the revelations given some people will quote Job they'll say well Job didn't know well when he was going through it he didn't know but by the end of the book God had spoken to him and we find in the prologue there was a cosmic conflict going on whereby the devil was permitted to test Job's devotion to God, how deep it was. That Job wasn't just serving God for what he could get and the blessing, but he had, even if God were to take things, everything from Job, Job would still worship. So we do have the answer in Job. So. Here's a—and I, I don't know what listeners may be going through. Uh, there's all kinds of things. There's broken relationships. There's health issues. There's tragic losses, things that happen in instant. But I am a firm believer that whatever God allows into our life, he has not only the framework of Scripture to speak to us, he has answers within that. That specifically apply to our situation. And I appreciate and we shouldn't be afraid to ask him.
2: And I appreciate you sharing that perspective, Mark, because I think far too often there is sort of that sense of, well, God's got a greater plan, but he's not going to tell you what it is. Almost as if he's somehow toying with our feelings or or insensitive to all of that. And would imagine if his son had died on the cross and there was no understanding as to the reason why. And yet, of course, we know the reason why, because of God's profound love wishing to provide the means by which we might be reconciled unto him through that sacrificial work of his son on the cross. And and having those answers can not only, I think, equip us with a tremendous sense of comfort, but also use that as a tool to impact the lives of so many around us and for generations, centuries to come. Think of Job. <laughs> The number of lives that his story has impacted, the number of times that he has been referred to down through the millennia. Well, just imagine Job. And there is now enshrined within scripture, his story, his experience, God's faithfulness from which you can all draw strength and hope. Mark Roser is with us today. His book, Blindsided, A Journey from Tragic Loss to Triumphant Love. We'll take a brief time out. We'll return with more of Mark's story as Lifeline continues in a moment.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: I'm just thinking there's so much to unpack. Unpack, rather. From Mark's story, his family's story, all delineated inside the pages of a Blindsided, a journey from tragic loss to triumphant love. Again, newly released by Pericle Press. You'll find it at uh, certainly through Amazon, Bay Area, Christian bookstores. You can also get more information directly through Mark's website at mcrosser, R O S E R, com. Mark, in the brief time that we have remaining, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of um, distill down for the listeners some of the um, the high points along the way here. Um, clearly, God has been doing a profound work, not only in your own heart, uh, through this experience, um, but I wonder how this has impacted the life of your spouse and, of course, uh, your son has siblings. Uh, how, how have they handled all of this? And Big picture, 30,000 foot high view, as they say. Uh, What are some of the ways in which God has used your story, your son's story, to impact others for Christ?
4: Well, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Craig, that all true deep ministry flows out of the comfort we receive from God uh, in the ways that we've been afflicted or troubled Paul says this to the Corinthians, he says that we might comfort others with the comfort we've received. And he even says if we're afflicted, it's for your sake. That's a pretty strong statement. He talks about the troubles that happened to them in Asia where they were pressed beyond measure. They even despaired of life. But this had all happened so that they might not trust in themselves, but in God who raises the dead. My family, growing up on the mission field, having been exposed to the gospel and hadn't personally trusted in Jesus, obviously the grief and the loss of Ethan. He was the youngest. There was 14 years from the oldest son who happens to live in San Francisco. His name's Jonathan. Like a second father to Ethan, it has drawn him closer to the Lord, deepened his relationship. They just had their firstborn son. On Monday. Wow. And him and his wife just cried together at the birth of Noah.
2: Well, congratulations, and, grandpa.
4: <laughs> thank you. And, and, and my wife, she, um, she had had a lot of grief in her life. Her, her mother, when we had first gone to the mission field, died and we got a call at night and she, um uh, she's, she had, uh, more grief experience than I had before. Um, and so the each person's journey in grief is different. I think of uh, Ethan's other brother, Nathan. They, they grew up together. And then there's an older sister, Elisha, and Pat, and, and, and I. And all of us as a family, it has brought us closer to one another, closer to God. But in his redemptive purpose, an ability to minister to people who've experienced uh, deep loss. Uh, and I, I didn't know I could love as much as I could until until I had a child. I mean, you just love your children in a way that, uh, that you don't love your spouse, even yourself or others. And then when Ethan died, I didn't know I could hurt so bad. Mm. But in the depth of that, God has ministered to my heart and I'm able to you know it, it, things don't scare you anymore and people loss and the things they go through when you realize the power God has to redeem our greatest loss and you mentioned it Jesus he knew he knew why he was going to the cross and dying and yet even there on the cross uh, in his humanity and in his For our sake, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These kind of things drive home the point of the gospel. One thing I've learned in my relationship with the Father is how the Father feels about his son, Jesus. I no longer just understand at a rational level that Jesus is the only way, only name by which we can be saved. I understand how the Father must feel about that son that was in his bosom from all eternity past. They have this thing going as a triune God and, and, and what his son was willing to do. And even the father and offering him up, boy, the love of God and and why uh, Jesus is the only way. I mean, I, I get it now at a deeply emotional level and I, I can identify with the father's heart in a way, wow. He was willing to do that because he loved me. Ma, my, ma.
2: Yeah, really, it really reaches the point where it transcends understanding. I've often said, you know, when we were kids, we went to Sunday school and we would we would sing the, the little song, "Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so." It's that sense of acknowledgement that we've read Scripture and we have an awareness because of Scripture. But then as we go along in our relationship and we live through life and we see the ups and downs and the trials, the tribulations, the challenges, and see God's faithfulness, how he shows up time after time after time in the depths of our despair and pain, bingo, God sends the comforter and he shows up and he makes his presence and his love be felt. And you suddenly begin to reach a stage in life where, yes, you know, because the Bible tells you so, but there's also that profound sense in your heart of hearts, in the very depth of your being, that you also know of God's love and His grace and His mercy because you've experienced it. You know that you know that you know because you've lived it, you've tasted of it, and you've walked it.
4: Absolutely. You know, it says we're living letters written and known by all men, that God's writing by His Spirit on the fleshly tablets of our heart. See, and this is the important thing to understand and to know, is that God is redeeming all things the deepest pain that we go through and yes our love is tested at times but the bible says blessed is the man who endures temptation for after he has tried he will receive the crown of life that god has promised to those that love him i have a deeper sense of eternity and how close it is and how long it is i mean our life is just just a vapor it appears for a little while paul talks about This light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far exceeding weight of glory. But see, Craig, we need to know the story that we're a part of and how intimately we're a part of this death and resurrection story of our Lord Jesus and how serious God is about conforming us to the image of Christ. You know, God won't allow us to be tried and tested above what we're able, but we're involved in a very dramatic, intense story, and God is working that in our lives. And if we understand the plot we're a part of, it's going to help us deal with the things that come our way.
2: Amen. And that, that sense of, as you say, that that story in a way is still being written. It's being written through us every day. The continuation of the demonstration of God's love, his grace, his mercy. Um, two thoughts come to mind. First, the, the Jobian notion of, though he slay me, yet shall I serve him. And then when you think of, of loss, well, for many of us, uh, the worst potential loss will be that of our own life. And uh, Paul talks about even to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and constantly taking us full circle. And the notion, particularly that we as believers um, rejoice in and and hang our Our life and our faith on, and that is to know that even under the worst of circumstances, such as what Mark and his wife Pat experienced with the tragic, unexpected loss of uh, their son Ethan, who is a 19 year old freshman, was volunteering at Wheaton College campus at a track meet, and was struck by a hammer throw that went awry, suddenly and unexpectedly lost his life, and yet to realize, though you might say goodbye, it really isn't goodbye. It's just so long for now because we have the promise of all being reunited once again and rejoicing together in heaven. It's an amazing story, one that I think will provide you great comfort, incredible help, and hopefully lead you to a deepening of your own faith walk, your own understanding of the word and this journey that we're on. The book is called Blindsided, A Journey from Tragic Loss to Triumphant Love newly published by Paraclete Press. You can order it online through Amazon.com, through Mark's website at mcrosser.com, or, of course, at Bay Area Christian bookstores. Mark Rosser, thank you so much for taking some time sharing not only your father's heart, but uh, speaking about the heart of your father and uh, revealing a bit of your own story from this tragic loss to triumphant love. I'm Craig Roberts, 533 on the clock.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: All right, welcome back to the conversation. By the way, the podcast of our discussion with Mark Rosser will be up and available for you to listen to later on this evening. And I want to encourage you, if your heart was moved by that, to share it with friends. It's an amazing story. All right, I want to turn a corner and, and begin sort of setting the stage by saying this. Can you just imagine? Get up one morning, not feeling all that great. You think, well... I'll call the insurance company, verify my coverage, and and then I'll place a telephone call to my doctor's office to set up an appointment because I need to get in and see the doctor. And as you pick up the phone and do so, you hear this.
3: We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. If you feel you have reached this recording in error, please check the number and try your call again.
2: Yeah. Can you imagine? Well... We narrowly escaped that being the experience for millions of Californians had Assembly Bill 1400 in fact survived because that's exactly what California wants. Not the residents of California, but the state legislature. The idea of creating a single-payer health plan, eliminating private health care in California, because after all, we know no state manages its business better than <laughs> can't even say with a straight face. No state manages its business better than California. Oh, boy, a lightning bolt will strike me on that. Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council, joins us with an update on the status of Assembly Bill 1400. And, uh, yeah, I think we dodged the bullet on this one, Jonathan, didn't we?
1: Well, Craig, you said it. It's it's absolutely the case that this was a close call. And, actually, if... uh if you would have asked me a week ago, if you would have asked me as late as Monday afternoon, I would have said, of course, this bill is going to pass. I mean, it's California. Governor Newsom ran on the idea of universal health care and the, the evils of the insurance industry. Uh, he basically has demonized private industry. He's demonized doctors and health care providers. And the speaker of the assembly, Anthony Rendon, Said, of course, we're going to vote for this. I support the bill. And at the last minute, the author of the bill, Ash Kalra, decided that he was going to pull the legislation, and it did not even receive a vote. I mean, as you said, we completely dodged a bullet.
2: This is not the first time this notion has been toyed with here in California. And, and, you know, it's it's an experiment in socialism that's quite frightening. You know, we could all probably agree that there are faults and failures with our health care system at so many levels. And Obamacare attempted to fix that. In some ways, it made it better. In other ways, it made it far more worse. Certainly more people have access to health care. That's a good thing. But now long lines. Try to get in to see your doctor. I tried to make an appointment literally. To see my physician a couple of days ago, and was told, "Okay." And I'm thinking next week, and they're telling me, "Well, doctor has an appointment toward the end of March." Is March? It's barely the end of January. Imagine now in a single payer healthcare system where more and more doctors would do as I suggested in my opening remarks, Jonathan, and I'd say, "You know what? This has gotten to be too expensive." too involved in some, in terms of paperwork, and we, we just can't continue to uh, to provide health care in a state like this, and they would all, I imagine, leave the state in droves, and then what?
1: Well, I think that's a great point, Craig. We've seen that whenever the government begins to get involved in the private industry, uh, very rarely, I would I would challenge any of your listeners to point to a case where the government's involvement in the private industry has led to more competition, and more choice, and better outcomes for those people that are involved. I mean, generally speaking, it just creates uh, uh, weird market incentives, it creates problems and shortages, and it makes things more complicated. And I think tragically, we've already started to see in the few instances where we do have some type of government-run healthcare, uh, Medicare, for example, or Medi-Cal here in the state of California, Uh, We've already seen doctors that will flat out say they're refusing to accept Medi-Cal patients or they're severely limiting the number of Medi-Cal patients because the cost overruns are ridiculous and the, the billing process is just almost incomprehensible. And yet, if this bill, this very dangerous bill, would have passed we could have potentially seen every doctor in the state, every hospital in the state, subject to these really arcane and complicated, convoluted reimbursement requirements, and even in some cases, rationing of care. We've seen in other states around the country, or I should say other countries around the world, when the government begins to become the single payer, they can tell doctors what prices they have to accept, they can tell doctors what procedures and uh, services they have to offer, and if there are, you mentioned, if doctors say, forget it, I'm hanging up my, uh, my lab coat and I'm going to do something else, all of a sudden now the government is responsible for rationing that care. And a procedure that, again, might have only taken a week or two weeks to get scheduled, I mean, Craig. You mentioned maybe having to wait till the end of March. I've heard in some European countries, it's not weeks, it's not months. In some cases, it's years to get a procedure. If you need a a, a, a uh, uh, amputation, or if you need a uh, organ transplant, if you need heart surgery. It can literally be the difference between life and death, these rationing
2: schedules. Well, and even more frightening, and we've seen some of this as a result of COVID, where doctors for um, health and safety purposes are uh, doing virtual uh, meetings with patients. So you don't physically go into the doctor for an analysis and a checkup. You do it online, as if somehow looking at the other end of FaceTime, a doctor can adequately and accurately diagnose what the patient may be dealing with with and we we're talking about putting lives at risk here and and as you aptly point out and i used to have a, a dear friend of mine longtime listeners to the program will remember the name dennis wolf who worked in the health care insurance industry for decades nobody knew the business better than dennis wolf and dennis leading into the vote for the aca it repeatedly warned us if this country heads in the direction of England, for example, and others that use socialized medicine, um, you won't recognize health care in this country inside of a couple of years, and it's questionable if any semblance of health care will even exist within four years because of the impact of just mismanagement alone. Fix things like you can't deal with the fraud within Medicare but now you want to say let's do this statewide or nationwide I mean it just it just it defies logic because there is no logic. Let me ask you this, Jonathan. while we celebrate the fact that this bill has been withdrawn that doesn't necessarily mean that this kind of socialism game playing with health care in California is over with, does it
1: no i wish I wish Craig that we could say we have uh we have nailed the coffin shut, if I could use a macabre analogy. Um, <laughs> but alas, I think that just like uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead or uh, any other zombie uh, movie you want to think of, I-, I think this is sadly an idea that our our friends on the left are just incredibly committed to. I mean, they really they really do believe, despite all evidence to the contrary that the government knows what's best when it comes to your health care. They, they, they would rather have a government bureaucrat, the same ones who run the DMV, or, God forbid, the same ones who run the EDD. I mean, the unemployment <laughs> division that has been... I mean, we've all seen those stories of fraud and abuse and millions of dollars paid out to... Uh, prisoners or um, illegal immigrants.
2: Oh, you mean the head of the well, the head of the EDD who just quit after being on the post for barely a year because of all of this uh, nonsense.
1: <laughs> I mean that that's just dealing with unemployment. Imagine if you're talking about life and death medical decisions. I mean, it, it really is something that I do think. Tragically, uh, there are going to be legislators that just are stuck on this. And we wrote about this at our website, CaliforniaFamily.org. It's the most recent story. Grassroots opposition kills California healthcare takeover. Craig, the one silver lining that I'll say, um, in that article there at CaliforniaFamily.org, we pointed out that the only reason this bill did not receive a vote is because of the massive groundswell of phone calls and emails and visits to legislators' offices. And it gives me just a tiny bit of hope. I, I, don't, want to get, I don't want to get too optimistic, but the, the fact that you had so many people that came off the sidelines and say, don't, don't take over my health care. I don't want the government to be my doctor. Uh, that was something that even our friends on the left could not ignore. And that's why the author of the bill even said he expected that double-digit Democrats would not vote for this. He he wasn't even anticipating that half of the Democratic caucus would support this. And that, I think, is something we should all be
2: grateful for. Absolutely. And to put this in perspective, harkening back to uh, my comment about my own experience trying to make a medical appointment, if it's six weeks to get an appointment, with the state running it, it might take six weeks just for them to answer the phone for you. Every time you call, the line is busy. And I'm heartened, Jonathan, by the fact that you attribute this to the overwhelming response of Californians picking up the phone, going to the computer to send an email, contacting their member of the California state legislature, legislature and saying, hold on, I don't want this. And I think we should all be encouraged. You know, it has been three decades that I've been telling people, please call, please drop a note. Please, you know, uh, encourage your friends at church to call the senator's office, write the congressman, et cetera, et cetera. And I know every once in a while I run into people say, does that really work? Do they really listen? Does it really matter? Does the the note wind up going, you know, does does the inbox end up in the shredder, you know, at the bottom when the message comes through? The good news is if you do push them and you do stand up and they recognize the constituents are upset, and it's likely going to cost them a vote, they will respond. So there, there is a, a silver lining in all of this. And again, if you've just joined us, um, Assemblyman Carla, Ash Carla has withdrawn Assembly Bill 1400 that had been an effort to try and uh, basically um, create a one-payer health care system here in California. So we've won this battle, but be sure (laughs) the war is not yet over. More information on the web at CaliforniaFamily.org. That's CaliforniaFamily.org. And our thanks to Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council, for that update.
3: Alameda Alliance for Health wants you to protect yourself and your family by getting a COVID-19 vaccine. Everyone five and older is eligible for vaccination at no cost. Call 510-208-4VAX to make an appointment. Alliance members 12 and older who get their first shot between September 21st and February 28th will be eligible to receive a state-sponsored $50 grocery gift card while supplies last. Visit alamedaalliance.org for information on staying safe this winter. It's said that if you don't like the weather, just wait a few minutes and it'll change. Well, the weather isn't the only thing changing. According to our latest research, local business owners today are saying it's getting harder to sustain their business than it was just a few months ago. They also told us that targeting the right audience with their advertising messages is more important than ever. At Salem Surround, our team of local in market experts take that seriously. We utilize the latest research and marketing technology to deliver. Over media plans that will exceed your expectations. Let Salem Surround show you how we can solve for your marketing challenges by bringing nationwide resources while delivering Main Street solutions. Salem Surround is here to help you through the constant changes. We promise we'll help your business stay ahead of the changing weather.
0: Get started now at SurroundSanFrancisco.com and let's navigate the changing business climate together. Visit SurroundSanFrancisco.com. SurroundSanFrancisco.com.
2: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to The Conversation, 10 minutes away from the hour of 6 p.m. Today's Thursday, Church of the Week coming up tonight. We invite you to stay tuned for that. Bishop Jonathan Logan, that's right. Had to think for a minute. Bishop Jonathan Logan's going to be with us tonight. You're going to love this guy. He is super neat. And uh, he's got a couple of huge churches, one of which been a partner on KFAX Radio for decades. And uh, if you are a fan of or remember Ephesians Church of God in Christ in Berkeley, then you're going to want to stay tuned for our conversation with Bishop Jonathan Logan coming up after the uh, top of the hour. You know, we're taking much comfort in the battle that's been enjoying related to pro-life issues, and we have an important decision um, that's going to be handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court, likely by Mid June, and while there's a lot of movement in the in the arena of legalization or delegalization, I should say, of abortion procedures in many states, California has decided no, we're going to be a sanctuary for this. We're going to continue to provide abortions, but sadly, not always continue to or even begin to provide the full truth, the entire story. They talk a good game when it comes to choice, but in reality, seldom are true choice, true options provided to women. So when they're in that unplanned event and they're dealing with a lot of decisions and a lot of emotion, where do you go to find somebody that can calmly explain to you what your options are? Well, around the San Francisco Bay Area... Um, The Real Options Clinics have provided just those kinds of services. And one of the important aspects of this has been not only to talk women through what their options are, but also to help them understand the reality of the life that is growing within them. And boy, the creation of the ultrasound machine many years ago has done wonders in saving lives, and changing hearts and minds. Tasha Kearns joins us now, registered nurse, director of nursing, in fact, with the Real Options O'Reo clinics across the San Francisco Bay Area. Tasha, thanks so much for being with us. I'm curious, how long have you been involved with Real Options, and what led you as a registered nurse to get involved with this organization?
3: All right. Good evening, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. So I've been in the ministry for about four years. I came over in the merger. As you know, we merged with Support Circle Clinics, and I've now been at Real Options for just about one year.
2: And over the course of time, initially leading up to your decision, there's a lot of things as a registered nurse in the Bay Area that you could be doing, but you've chosen to help women in this unique fashion. Why so?
3: Yeah, so the reason for me is, is really personal. As a freshman in college, I was faced myself with an unintended pregnancy. And uh, as a freshman in college, it completely unhinged what I envisioned that my life would become. And I put my dream of becoming a registered nurse on hold and dropped out of college so I could parent my son. And although I never myself considered a, abortion as an option... I was pressured to have one to protect my future, and many of our patients are in that circumstance. So becoming unexpectedly pregnant and experiencing that crisis it created inside of me is what really propelled me into this ministry to be there as a support for women and men that are facing these similar circumstances and decisions as, as their life is being shaken.
2: Hey, you know, what's remarkable about your story, Tasha, in, in so many ways emblematic of thousands of stories like yours out there, that so often those that in the abortion side of the industry that quite frankly do this because there's a lot of money to be made, uh, want to couch this as, well, you don't have any options. Choose one or the other. But there's no such thing as both. You can't possibly have a career and have a baby. You can't possibly continue your studies at school and have a child. And yet you have been able to do both. Now, I'm not in any way diminishing hard work, long hours, sacrifice, Wow, I, I know that, that that's something I couldn't do. I, I wouldn't have the Constitution to handle something like that. But you've demonstrated that thousands of women are if they're just given the opportunity to make the right decision and to really fully understand not only what their options are, but to be also exposed to the truth. And I guess that's the real uh, rewarding and incredible thing about the, the, the ultrasound, and that is the ability to show women mm-hmm. what the truth is.
3: Yeah, and and really one of the main focuses and the heart of our organization and as a nurse is to make sure that our patients, they're heard, they're acknowledged, they're empowered to go ahead and move forward to be exposed to what this truth is and to be fully educated so that they can make a decision about their pregnancy from an informed place rather than from a place of pressure or from a place of crisis.
2: You know, a lot of folks eavesdropping on our conversation tonight might teach a Sunday school class. They might be involved in a ministry at their church or just you know, uh, active disciple of Jesus that loves to tell others about the Lord, but they're engaged in ministry of one sort or another. And that's all great and wonderful stuff. Seldom, though, do we get to say, yeah, and my job also includes saving lives every day. Yours does, (laughs) which I think is truly fascinating. And and I'm curious for, for those that are listening that perhaps like yourself have a background in nursing. And maybe you're looking for a change, maybe would like to be engaged in a job that that not only helps to educate women, ultimately save lives, if I indicate, which is just about every nurse that's out there, uh, but also with the same token, empower Women, I understand right now mm-hmm. that there are some needs within real options related to uh, nursing or sonographer positions. If somebody is considering a career change and a move into that kind of ministry, it, tell me where they can get more and more and inf- more information.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so as nurses, we're really serving, as you were alluding to, as medical missionaries here in the Bay Area, which is one of the most unchurched parts of the world. And we really strive to empower these women and men to be educated, to get an ultrasound, to be able to have that experience. Uh, where they're able to make this very real and see that life that God's placed in them. And so right now, we, we are looking for nurses. We train our nurses in sonography through an organization called Sparrow Solutions. Uh, we team up with nurses around the country as a host training center where we can not only impact the Bay, but also impact processes in patients around the the country which is fantastic Um, and so our sonography training program um, is all held in-house and we have this ability to learn ultrasound which is not a skill that is typically trained in nursing school it's an outside additional learning that we do receive and we're looking for nurses for our Redwood City and our Union City clinics right now and if you're interested in learning more information or seeing what this position is really like, um, you can always go onto our website, friendsofrealoptions.net. And look at the career opportunities that are available. And I would love to, you know, speak with the nurses that are for life and interested in this movement and this ministry in the Bay Area.
2: Well, that's exciting stuff. And as you point out, the training is available directly through Real Options, so you get to add the additional line on your resume, and most importantly, be engaged in a ministry opportunity that impacts multiple lives and really makes a significant difference when it comes to empowering women here in the Bay Area. So if you are a nurse or maybe already an experienced sonographer and you're looking for a career change that leads you deeper into ministry, then why not find out more? A couple of positions available right now through Real Options as Tasha Kearns mentions and you can get more information by simply going to FriendsOfRealOptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. I know that Tasha would love to speak with you by phone and see whether or not a career in ministry with Real Options here in the Bay Area might be right for you. Again, information available on the web. You can support this great ministry as well financially, if so inclined, by going to friendsofrealoptions.net. Our thanks to Tasha Kearns, registered nurse and director of nursing with Real Options, for that update